right, welcome back to another episode of the Sex Mancers Podcast. On this episode, we're going to go through and we're going to finish up our series on money and marriage. Because as we have discussed, there are a lot of issues around money and marriage that will have a significant impact on your relationship and the overall quality of your marriage and your sex life. Because the number one cause of divorce in the United States is money problems and money fights, right? And that's why we've gone through and we've discussed issues such as, you know, uh, getting on the same page with your finances and building a shared financial future, uh, the emotions around uh, money management and the embarrassment of coming clean about, you know, the household finances. We've talked about, you know, the financial infidelity. We've talked about how to put together, you know, a budget, a financial plan, and how to communicate with each other about money. So now we're going to go through and talk about investing and side hustles, because these are two things uh, that, you know, go together towards increasing your wealth. So let's say you're at the situation or at the stage where you've come clean about the household finances and where you stand financially, debt and everything. You've created your budget, financial plan, and you've uh, gone through uh, the debt snowball and eliminated your debt. So now it's time to start taking a look at investing to build wealth. Right? Because at some point, you're going to want to retire and you don't want to have to be dependent upon the government uh, to take care of you in your old age. And you don't want to have to wait, you know, until you're older than you have to be. You know, for instance, if you build up, you know, a 401k and the money inside of there uh, builds to such a point where you're able to retire at the bare minimum age. You know, you then you can go through there and you can start enjoying uh, your retirement at a slightly younger age and enjoy more of it. Whereas if you're dependent upon the government to take care of you with Social Security, you're going to have to work more and more years because as Social Security works is if you retire at the bare minimum uh, retirement age, you get, you know, this amount of money. But if you wait a few extra years, you get more money. And so you're at a stage where, you know, you're at the end of your career. You can't really tolerate, you know, working anymore. You just, everything, you know, is getting to you. Your health, you know, may be declining. You may be thinking that you'll be dead before you have a chance to uh, retire because you just can't afford it. Well, that's where investing comes into play. Whether you're investing in your 401k, whether you're investing in an IRA, or whether you're just investing for general wealth building so that, you know, you don't have to wait until retirement age, but rather you just, you know, retire whenever you've built up enough money where you can live off of the interest that it makes you. You know, so if you can build up, you know, uh, an investment portfolio worth, I don't know, let's say $2 million by the time you're in your mid forties, right? So let's uh, take a look at that, you know, because retirement is a financial number. It's not an actual age. So let's say you got $2 million, you know, saved up and you're only in your mid forties because you and your spouse hustled hard. And let's say you just put that into mutual funds, right? And the average mutual fund gets about 9% uh, rate of return. All right. So that would provide you about $180,000 a year in income. That's right. That $2 million will provide you $180,000 a year income. Now, after taxes, um, that's more like 153000 But as you can see, this will provide you, you know, uh, the means to financially support yourself. Now, whether you put that into an IRA, which limits you at $10,000, you know, uh, for a couple, you know, like between $10,000 and $11,000 a year or $5,500 individually, you might not be able to build up enough money um, in order to, you know, 
retiring your 40s. I mean, let's take a look at that. 5,500. I mean, even if you were doing that uh, at age 25, that'd be 20 years. That's only $110,000 that you've invested. But, you know, uh, with the way interest works, that will build up to be a lot more money. I mean, you can run this through a financial calculator, you know, um, and just plug in, you know, uh, the numbers and you can see what that would be, uh, with interest. But without interest, you know, that's just over a hundred thousand dollars a year, uh, of savings. Now that won't be enough even with, you know, the interest to be able to retire off of that. But if you have an IRA, I mean, not an IRA, but just a general, you know, um, you know, investment account that's not re- that's not tied to retirement you can put in however much money you want and the more money that you put in there the sooner it will build up to the point where you can retire early retire in your mid 40s or retire at age 50 i mean think about that for a moment to build up enough wealth that you're able to retire at just age 50 and relax and pursue your passions or retire even before then. It really kind of depends on what kind of job you have and what kind of income you have that will determine, you know, based off of your financial plan, how much money you can put into your investments. And the more money that you can put into there, the more money you'll have to take out or the sooner you'll be able to retire. Now, just because you're investing in a general, you know, investment account doesn't mean you should stop investing into your retirement. Again, uh, this does depend on how much money you make, but I would always invest first into your retirement account and maxing them out before you go into a general wealth building fund. And we'll talk about ways that you can increase your income together in the second half of the show. But right now, I want to make sure that you understand that there are different types of investments. And you need to understand these types of investments. Both of you need to understand and you make and make sure that each other understands the different types of investment options and make sure that you do the research and, you know, even consult an expert and only invest and the type of investment vehicles that you both understand and that you both agree to. And that is important. You know, investing is not, you know, the sole responsibility of the husband or the wife. It is something that you both got to be involved in, that you both got to be making the decisions based off of your comfort and how well you understand the investment. It's just like in all other situations related to the finances uh, in your marriage. When one of you tries to dominate over the other and dictate, here's what we're going to do, the other one's going to feel resentful. And they may act out out of that resentment because they don't feel like this is a marriage of equals. This is one uh, spouse is acting as the parent dictating to the other spouse what they are and are not going to do rather than, you know, working together as a team, as a pair of equals. And anytime you got an imbalance here where one person is trying to, you know, tell the other person or dictate to the other person, it's, it's a recipe for disaster. Right. Now I learned this, you know, the hard way, you know, there was a time earlier on in my marriage where, you know, I'm a high D personality and my wife is a high S personality. I am domineering, fast charging, and can make a quick decision. I also have a little bit of a high C, which is also analytical. So I like to, you know, go through, I like to see the data, but after I see the data, I can analyze it quickly and make a decision. You know, my wife, she is someone who is conflict avoidance, right? So 
if I came up with an idea and I go, yes, 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 see, this is great, you know, and I try to show her charts, she doesn't care about, you know, the charts or the data, you know, she's just not that high data personality type, you know, and then I can go through and I'm saying, yes, we're going to go through here. And, you know, she's hesitant about it. She's unsure about it. She doesn't really know what it is uh, that I was talking about. And then I would go ahead and do it. And then, you know, she'd be upset and mad with me because she didn't feel like she had any input. And these are mistakes that I had made. And they caused problems early on. You know, it's hard enough to make that transition from single life to married life where you're going on to, uh, from you being the sole decider of everything you're going to do to having to check with your spouse and partner and making sure you're in agreement on everything that you want to do. But it's also, you know, harder for the one who's very domineering, you know, hard charging, make a quick decision to understand, you know, especially if they don't understand, you know, the different personality profiles that the partner that they are with are not as easily able to make a decision doesn't comprehend everything uh, that you comprehend as easily as you do, just like you don't comprehend everything that they do as easily as they do. So you got to make sure that you're not domineering over the other. Now, what are the different types of investment vehicles? Well, the riskiest one is single stocks. This is where you see uh, people talking about day trading, where they put all their money in one basket, you know, or just in a couple of small baskets where they pick out the company, they research that company's stock, and then they, you know, throw them their money in there and then expect it to either go up or down and trying to figure out how to play the market. And a lot of people in this strategy go broke long-term. Short-term, you might have some luck. You might be able to make uh, rapid wealth in the short-term and being able to you know, uh, feel like, yes, we've made it. We're rich. And then you know, things start going south, right? Or they might go south right away and you're thinking, oh man, the stock market is just too risky. Can't do it. And just avoid it altogether you know, for any future. Now, I generally stay away from single stocks. I don't have uh, the time capacity to, you know, invest in how much it would take to understand each individual company's profile and, you know, being able to play the market uh, the way it is and being able to keep up with what news or trends coming out that's going to affect the price of that uh, particular stock. I mean, it, it, it's just too involved, you know, too much. And the average person, especially when they are working a regular full-time job, does not have the ability to invest the time needed to understand it. But it is an option. And another option is bonds. Now, bonds is where you're investing in shares of a debt. You know, you might think of it like treasury bonds where you're buying up government debt and then you get a yield. A yield is your return on investment, in which case they pay, you know, X amount of interest on that bond, you know, and then you just collect the interest. Now, again, you know, bonds, I mean, they're a little safer uh, than single stocks, but they do have an inverse relationship when it comes to uh, interest rates. As, you know, as uh, interest rates go down, the bonds become more valuable. As interest rates go up, bonds become less valuable. You know, because let's say, you know, the interest rate was at about, you know, I don't know, two per, you know, wait, let's just say 5%. Let's say the interest rate on the bond uh, was 5% when it was issued. Now, the fact that interest rates have gone down to uh, hovering around two, two and a half percent, that bond is worth money. It's a good investment. But if interest rates go above five percent, then that bond loses its value in the market. And it would be hard to get rid of it for a better yielding bond. So just understand that. And you also got to take a look at whose bond you're investing in. You know, uh, if you invest in government bonds, 
sure, that seems uh, pretty typically uh, stable. You know, you should be guaranteed the money. But if you're investing in a private company or a private corporate uh, corporate bond, you know, if that corporation goes belly up, you lose your money. But the, the same thing happens uh, in single stocks where if the company goes belly up and out of business, you know, and goes bankrupt, you lose all your money. That is too much risk, especially, um, you know, when we have seen, you know, uh, the economy crash. You know, it was just 10 years ago that everyone was talking about the financial crash, the housing crash. You know, it seemed like the economy was all falling apart. And so a lot of people lost their money because they were in risky types of investments. So. Another risky type of investment is angel investing, where you save up enough money that you're able to invest in someone else's business, someone else's startup company. Now, I'm kind of torn between whether this is as risky or riskier than single stocks, and I'm going to lean towards this as riskier, you know, because now you're dealing with investments in a company that doesn't even have a track record. All they have is a product idea and potentially a prototype. You don't know how well the person is at, you know, building a business, marketing, getting products to market, uh, what their work ethic is. You know, it's just somebody with this really cool idea, but you have no idea whether or not they have the ability to really launch this idea into the market and make it successful. You know, so there's that. Now, the two types of investments uh, that I do like is mutual funds and rental properties. Now, of these, the rental properties is riskier. You know, now, when I say that, it really kind of depends on the area that you live in. You know, if you live in an area, you know, with a low population and, you know, you're dealing with rental properties, you know, if your renter moves out, you know, it may take a while before you get another renter into the property to generate money. And if you have debt on that rental property, like a mortgage, you know, you're going to be in for some financial hardship. I mean, that's not, you know, that's not controversial. That's not, you know, unthinkable, but, you know, it, it could take a while, uh, in which case, you're paying on the mortgage, but you're not making any money. And then, you know, after you go through that strain, you finally get somebody in there, but you don't know how long that person is actually going to stay. You may have a lease, you know, saying, hey, they're going to be there for this amount of time at this rate. But that's not steady. People, you know, in rental units, you know, yeah, they sign a lease, but let's say they just decide to pick up and go. What are you going to do about it? You're going to say, well, we're going to enforce the contract. Really? First, you need to be able to find the person. Then you have to go through the expense of taking them to court. You know, and then, you know, uh, after all of that, you know, then you have to figure out how to garnish their wages for what is owed. And the expenses of doing that may be more costly than you know, what you would gain in return. So you kind of got to judge that just a little bit, you know, whether or not it's really worth going after. I mean, most, most you know, rental properties, if the person just picks up and moves, you know, especially if they move out of the city or out of the state, you know, the chances of you being able to find them is slim to none, right? You would have to have at least some inkling uh, or idea where they went. So, you know, when you think about that, then you got to think about the reverse. Let's say you're in a densely populated area, right? You know, your major cities, you know, if a renter moves out, you know, really there's not, you know, not a big deal because there's plenty more people looking for new places to rent. And so the time period between when a renter moves out and when a new renter comes in is minimal. 
right? And the financial, you know, the temporary financial hardship, you know, is maybe next to nothing to you. So rental properties is good if you're in a, you know, more densely populated area in which, you know, there is more demand for places to rent than what there are places to rent. You know, so you got to be, you know, cognizant of what the market is, you know, in the housing and rental market in that area before you decide whether or not to go all in on rental properties. Now let's go on to my favorite of all investments, and that is the mutual fund. I like this because it provides a great rate of return on your investment with very little risk, right? So what are mutual funds? Well, mutual funds are basically you're buying into a fund to uh, that you are mutually funding with other people to buy shares in a whole bunch of different companies. Right. So the reason why this is a low risk is because it provides natural diversification. Right. Uh, because you can go through and invest, you know, in this fund into a share of this fund. And this fund is invested into 200 different companies. And while some of those companies may lose money, a lot of the companies are making money. And so overall, your investment generally makes money. Now, the average return of, of the stock market is around 12%. That's the, you know, historical average. So if you go with uh, this investment, you'll get something that is, you know, quoted to you as mo- very conservative of 9%, you know, return on investment. Now they'll quote you 9% because it's one of those situations where you under promise and over deliver. So that when you see that you're making 12, uh, 13, 15%, you know, on your investment, your investment guy looks incredibly awesome because he quoted you 9% and here it is, you're making 15. So just understand that, you know, that they're going to under, you know, promise and over deliver when they're quoting you what the average return is, nor what they can get you on your money. So with this, uh, there are different types of mutual funds. There are uh, mutual funds and aggressive growth funds. These are small but rapidly growing companies. And this is like a roller coaster where you'll see big gains and big losses and big gains. You know, the best thing that you can do is once you understand, you know, that is throw your money in there and then don't look at it every day. You know, look at it maybe once a quarter to see how it's going. Cause if you're looking at it every minute of every day, uh, you, you're, you're going to get sick, right? And you're likely to make mistakes at just pulling out when it's at its bottom peak, just before it shoots right back up. So it is just like a huge roller coaster. And then you got your, you know, small cap or mid cap funds and mid cap funds are medium sized companies. You still see, uh, quite a room uh, for growth, you know, and um, quite big uh, gains, but not so much as big of losses, you know, throughout, you know, uh, an individual week. And so it provides a good rate of return and, you know, it's not quite as volatile as the aggressive growth, but it's not quite as, but it still has more movement and growth than your large cap funds, right? And so it's it's a nice, you know, medium. And then uh, speaking of which, you have your large cap funds. These are your big, gigantic, stable businesses. This is like the Microsofts, the Apple, the G&E, where the companies have been around for quite a while. They have massive profits. But the, and they are very stable. You don't see a whole lot of big dips, but you don't see a whole lot of big gains. You know, it's pretty much smooth, predictable, stable, and not a whole lot of movement. Uh, but you will still get your return on investment. You know, and so with that, the other type of mutual funds is there's a bond mutual fund. 
Uh, I generally don't uh, agree with doing that because you're investing in debt, you know, and it still has an inverse relationship uh, with the uh, interest rates, and you never know what the Fed is going to do with interest rates. Okay, so the other type is international mutual funds. This is where you're investing uh, in uh, mutual funds that are invested in international corporations. These are companies that may be European companies, Canadian companies, Mexican companies, or Mexico companies, uh, Brazilian companies, African companies. These are companies that are operating uh, on the international stage outside of the U.S. You know, and so this uh, provides some protection just in case uh, the U.S. market was to ever crash, you know, due to the large debt. Of course, if that happens, you know, the international economy may crash as well, in which case, you know, money is worthless. So it doesn't really matter anyways. Uh, but, you know, just in case, you know, the other markets, you know, in other countries survive, uh, then this helps provide, you know, some safeguards so that you still have some money. Oh, and so that is the basics uh, of mutual funds and some of the different types of investing. And you'll want to go through and take a look at each and every one of these investment types. Make sure that you understand it. And when you both uh, understand the investments and are comfortable uh, and in agreement with what you're going to invest your money in, then that's what you go with, right? The person who is more risk averse is probably going to win this one. All right. So anyways, uh, that's uh, on the investment. And uh, we'll go ahead and we'll get into side hustles. And with that, um, I'm going to take a quick break and then I'll be back. Okay, so now let's go on and move on to the subject of side hustles because doing a side hustle together, this is stuff that you do in addition to your nine to five or your normal business that you and your spouse can do together to increase your household income so that you can reach your financial goals faster, right? Now, how much money you make, how much time you can dedicate to it, and what it is you exactly do is going to be dependent upon your time availability and your natural skills and abilities. But if you do this right and you know, play to your strengths, you can get to the point where you can double or even triple your income and your side hustle could end up making you more money than your normal nine to five job. And then that leads to the ability of you and your spouse being able to quit your day job and be able to spend all day, every day together working on your business and being able to increase your communication as you're not just communicating about your day, but you're communicating about your business uh, and your business finances and your business goals, as well as your personal household financial goals. So this provides a different level of communication and commitment that is needed to each other if you're going to pull off a side hustle successfully. Now, there may be a situation where one of you may want to do the side hustle and the other one doesn't. Okay. You know, there, that could be a possibility. Uh, just understand though that you're going to have to be more intentional about whatever time you do spend together because doing a side hustle, you know, uh, individually or doing two different side hustles can create some tension and some strain in the relationship as you have less time for each other. You know, and if you're both doing separate side hustles, you're going to have this constant back and forth where by one of you is always going to feel that your time is being sacrificed in building up your dream side business so that your spouse can build up their dream side business. And this, you know, is a minefield. So this is where you need to make sure that you have high levels of communication where you can spend a few moments each week where you go through, okay, 
Here's what this week's schedule looks like. And remember to put everything on the calendar. You know, whether you use a, you know, an old fashioned paper and pen calendar or whether you use Outlook or some internet uh, calendar to schedule and manage your time. Now, uh, when it comes to me and my spouse, uh, what we do is we use a program called Causey. And what Causey does is it takes in uh, the feeds from our uh, actual calendars, whether that's a Google Calendar or Outlook Calendar or, you know, whatever it calendar you use and it pulls in the what you put on that calendar and then it shows everybody's schedule and it doesn't just have to be you and your spouse it could also be your kids schedule uh you know your kids activities you know all of that stuff right it basically it's a family calendar where you can see what each of you are doing and so you're able to go through there and go say okay so here are the days you know that I work here are my days off here are the days I'm going to work on my side hustle and what time uh, during that day I'm going to be working on my side hustle. And this is what time I'm setting aside for family time. And there's going to be that give and take here where, you know, the more you put into family time, the less you can put into increasing your income. And the more you put into increasing your income, the less time you have for family. So you got to be, you know, reasonable uh, with your expectations. You know, uh, especially, uh, you know, depending on the side hustle that you do, because some side hustles are going to take a lot of time commitment. It is. And some of them, not so much. You're not going to have to do hardly anything. So when you're picking your side hustle, you want to play to your strengths. And then you want to delegate work based off of your individual talents and attempt to do so fairly. So let's say one of you is really good at social media and social media marketing and you're doing some type of service or you're creating your own, you know, merchandise of some sort. One of you is good at, you know, marketing. The other one is good at, you know, accounting and handling the finances. And so maybe you delegate the work like that. And then you set it up where, as one of you is doing the marketing, you know, and doing uh, their part of the business, the one who's uh, the other person is taking care of the kids, doing the, you know, cleaning up the house and, you know, cooking dinner. And then on the days when the other one has to do their part of the business, you know, you switch roles in that, you know, example, right? Now, let's take a look at some of the different types of side hustles that you can do. All right. Now the now the first one and the one that doesn't require you know um, much in the way of time commitment, you know, and doesn't require a whole lot of thinking or a whole lot of strategy is live streaming video games. Right? Yes, this could be a side hustle. You know, you go through, you get a game capture device. You can do so with or without commentary. But the game console, you know, uh, where it is you like to play games. Set up the computer, set a, you know, uh, uh, shoot a, a video capture device, you know, in between them and then have a screen in which you play the games. And then maybe, you know, what, twice a week, three times a week, you know, something like that. You get home from work and then you get, you play video games. You get to relax. Plus, as you post these video games up on, you know, YouTube, uh, YouNow, Periscope, Twitch, um, BitChute, or, you know, any other place that allows you to post uh, videos of your gaming, you know, uh, you go ahead and you upload it to those, uh, to those platforms or stream it live to those platforms. Either way, and you can do this with or without commentary of you talking uh, to the audience. And this has become uh, a big industry, you know, as, you know, with YouTube, you know, you just gain an audience. I mean, I've never understood the, you know, entertainment of watching other people play video games. But especially with the uh, younger generation, they love watching other people playing video games. 
you know, and so as you build up an audience, you get to monetize uh, that video channel or, you know, the audience will donate money to your video channel because they like, you know, your gameplay or, you know, your instruction of this is how you do, you know, this on this game, you know, as you go through and figure it all out, you know, it doesn't really take a whole lot of time commitment. You know, so you go ahead, you record it, you know, or you stream it live on as many platforms as you can through any free service like Restream.io. And then for the other places where you can't, you know, uh, stream it live, you know, let's say like BitChute, then after you're done, you know, you if you're using OBS, you can be recording while you're live streaming, you know, and then you just take the, you know, video and upload it you know, to the other platforms that you couldn't stream live on. And then there you go. And as you build up an audience, you get to monetize the channel, whether that be with, uh, you know, uh, a Google AdSense account or, you know, some other monetization uh, account uh, with these other platforms or through fan funding. You know, um, just understand that you're going to have to, you know, um, you know, compete for attention as there are some, very well-established channels uh, that are out there. You know, you may have to engage in some marketing, but, you know, gamers, you know, who are doing this, I mean, especially like the hardcore gamers, are making upwards of, shoot, close to a million dollars a year, some of them, the top ones, and other ones are making an extra fifty to to $100,000 a year. And, you know, this really kind of depends on if you're any good at it. And so maybe you can do a game channel of games of you versus your spouse, you know, in some sort of fighting game or, you know, um, you know, or any type of battle game or you and your spouse are working together, you know, to accomplish a goal in a game. You know, like, for instance, if you were going off uh, years ago and you were playing Resident Evil 5, and that is, you know, two player, me and my wife, we play that together and everything. And, you know, except for live streaming gameplays, uh, was not popular when that game came out. However, you know, you could do that where, you know, you're working in partnership with each other in the game, or you can take turns because you like different type of games. And so maybe, you know, one of you plays video games on these two nights. The other one plays video games on those two nights. Well, that's four nights a week in which you are providing content for your gaming channel in order to build up an audience. And you don't really have to put a whole lot of thought into, you know, the content that you're producing. Okay. Now, other obvious ones that start taking up more time commitment are things like blogging. Do you have something uh, that, you know, you can provide value on? Whether that is providing advice or instructions on a particular topic or subject, um, or do you have something entertaining to do, like a comedy website, you know, in which you can write, uh, parody or, uh, blogs or satire, uh, posts, you know, and get that distributed and gain up an audience that way. And then you can make money from AdSense, affiliate links, and, you know, a few other ways in which you can monetize. You know, right? So that's another thing that takes a little more time commitment. Uh, you could also, you know, do your own podcast, you know, uh, or you and your spouse can do a podcast and you could do something where you're only doing a weekly show, in which case, you know, you record on one day, your spouse records on another day, you know, um, and you can even combine this, um, where if you're wanting to talk about, you know, marriage and finances and all of that, you, you could go through and start a podcast in which um, is centered around content of you going out and doing retail arbitrage, finding suppliers and doing things like Amazon FBA and eBay and, you know, uh, things like that. And you could talk about, you know, the, the challenges in your relationship, time commitments, finding products and sources, managing uh, the finances, putting together how much you're investing in the business. I mean, you could talk about all of that, in which case you are doing two side hustles, but one side hustle is generating the content for the other side hustle. If you're doing it as a podcast, or you could 
you know, do this as a video show where, you know, you just set up a camera and then you and your spouse talk about everything that I was saying, you know, for your, you know, for an audio podcast. And then, you know, you put that up on YouTube, but then you use a video editor to extract just the audio out of that and put that up as just a uh, audio show, you know, as well. So now you got something going on on YouTube, something going on with audio and something that you may be blogging about while you're going out and doing the shopping to get the products and inventory to sell on eBay and Amazon. Now, as you can see, while you're going through and you're building all of this up, the different things that you do requires different time commitment. So if you're doing retail arbitrage, you're going around from store to store. You're taking a look at, you know, what uh, things are uh, are selling for on clearance, and then you're looking it up, seeing what uh, they're going for on Amazon and eBay and whether or not you can make a profit. You know, and you could be recording, you know, your process of, you know, you looking for all of that. You know, if you want some inspiration, you could also take a look at uh, Gary Vaynerchuk's channel. And, um, and, uh, and what he calls trash talk in which he goes around to various, uh, garage sales and yard sales, picking up items to resell on, uh, eBay. Now, Gary Vaynerchuk, you know, that's just kind of, you know, some of the things he does for content. He actually is the CEO of, um, uh, of a digital, uh, marketing company, um, I forget, uh, you know, exactly, you know, what they call it. I mean, it's Vayner Media, but, you know, um, but basically he does social media marketing and he used to do Wine Library TV, you know, became a pretty big online personality. He started doing a daily vlog. And then in addition to the daily vlog, he started, you know, kind of in the summertime of now doing, you know, um, you know, content around him going around to garage sales. So, you know, you could do all of that where, you know, and take a look at that for inspiration, but you can do all of that where, you know, if you don't have kids, you know, yet, you know, one of you can just be recording the other one, you know, picking out the products, scanning it, figure, you know, showing what the process is of that. Um, if it's just one of you, you know, you just kind of, you know, hold uh, up with the cell phone, you know, um, you know, recording you uh, doing something. And if you're going to scan the items, you know, you probably want to use like an old cell phone um, and maybe have like, a, you know, a way, you know, to quickly set up a quick stand, you know, for the phone, you know, like maybe something on a pole with, you know, three little legs out at the bottom, something that folds up easily that you can carry into the store and then record yourself kind of doing all of that. And then that's your YouTube content as well as part of the audio content. Now, doing the video editing and all of that is going to take time, right? The more layers you put on this and the more complicated your side hustle is, the more time it's going to take. And the more communication and the understanding you're going to need to have in your relationship. Now, these are just a few ideas of side hustles. You could also do Uber, Lyft. You could do, uh, you know, uh, daycare, you know, evening daycare or babysitting for other couples to get out at night. You can, you know, be an instructor on something. You could be a coach. You could be, you know, uh, um, you know, a counselor of some type. I mean, there's endless possibilities, right? There really is. There's endless possibilities. You just need to figure out based off of how much time you can commit to it between when you get off work and when you need to go to bed and what your talents and strengths are. And then you got to decide, you know, can you do it together? Yeah. You know, that's really what's going to bring you closer together is being able to do the side hustles together so that you do get some more time uh, with each other and you're increasing that communication, you know, um, because you're not just communicating about your personal finances and money goals, but now you're, you know, your business uh, finances and your business strategy and, and keeping a schedule 
is going to be key uh, to all of this. Now, there are situations uh, that many people have come across where their side hustle has become their full-time job. And if that happens to you where you are able to quit your day job, there are things you need to be mindful of, such as just because you're both home doesn't mean it's time to slack off. You know, just because you're both home doesn't mean you spend the majority of the day just sitting uh, at the desk and, you know, chatting up about, you know, it, random stuff. It doesn't mean that you just spend most of your days going to the parks and, you know, all of that. You actually do got to work. I mean, a lot of people will tell you that once they become self-employed, they work harder than ever. You know, what what is the statement about entrepreneurship? Entrepreneurs are people who work 80 hours in order to avoid working 40 hours, right? I mean, that that's kind of the thing there. So you got to be, you know, respectful and have the schedule of this is business time. You know, this is maybe when we take a midday break from the business and we spend time together, grab something to eat, go for a walk, get outside, whatever. And then this is when we come back for business. Right, and then this is when we end the business day. Right, keeping that schedule, or going through and going. Okay, on these days, these are the type of tasks that need to be done in the business. This is where I'm talented. So on these days, you know, you, uh, you know, you take care of the kids, you take care of the house, yada yada yada. And then on these other days, these are the days in which we take care of these tasks, and these are where you're more talented for. And all, or maybe it's not days, but hours of the day, right? Now, also realize that stress can escalate when you become self-employed and your self-employment becomes your only source of income now. You know, because now you're thinking, oh my God, I got to work all the time because I need to generate as much money as I can so I can have as much uh, in my emergency savings as possible so if things go south, I have money to get me through to either uh, when the market picks back up or and uh, so that I have enough time to complete a job search and get back into a nine to five. You know, you got that stress because now your income is unpredictable. You got high highs, low lows, you know, and all of that. And so you got to be mindful of that stress. And this is where scheduling a time every day for you to just get outside and exercise, you know, go for a walk, go for a jog, uh, do some weight lifting, you know, these activities that not only reduce your stress, but also uh, has been proven to improve your cognitive functioning. You know, it allows you to think clearer, you know, stimulates the mind, increases synapse, you know, your synapse, uh, uh, can't talk, but increases your synapses, you know, so just be mindful of stress and that you do need some time uh, to relax. And just like you budget in your personal finances, you got to budget in your business. And this is one of the great features of programs like QuickBooks. It not only keeps track of all of your accounting and inventory, you know, from when you order the supplies to when you get the supplies to when you need to, you know, send off the payments for the supplies, the bills you know, that you need to pay for your business and, you know, all that profit and loss, you know, keeping track of mileage, you know, if you have employees, keeping track of sales, you know, figuring out how fast each product is selling, where your reorder point needs to be uh, based off of how long it takes for the new inventory to arrive after being ordered, you know, and all that. But there's also a function in QuickBooks uh, that is called budgeting. You know, and uh, in that function, you can set aside what your budget is for your business that month. You know, this is how much uh, you're budgeting uh, that month for marketing. This is how much you're budgeting that month for inventory. This is how much you're budgeting for these type of bills so that you can see based off of the money that you have in your account, how you're going to use that in order to further your business goals, just like a budget helps you uh, create a plan for how you're going to, you know, further your personal financial goals. And, 
you know, if you're doing the side hustle together, just like you do your personal financial budget together, you do your business budget together. Of course, one person puts together the initial draft uh, of the budget, and then you both come to an agreement. Now, the key here, though, is to make sure that when you do your side hustle, that you do not use debt. Build your side hustle with zero debt. Now, you're going, well, how am I going to get the startup funds? Well, you can do that uh, by using tax returns. You could put a line item in your personal budget called savings for side hustle. You know, and then once you gather up enough money to launch your side hustle, there you go. You know, you know, you could do all of that. But, you know, depending on what you're doing, marketing is going to be key. Even if you're doing something like retail arbitrage, right? When you list it on eBay, you know, how many of your listings can you afford based off of your budget to get in that sponsored spot so that you're the first listing for that particular item so it's more likely to sell, right? So that's not only good business planning, but that's also going to make sure that, you know, in your marriage, you have even higher levels of communication. And you'll need to make an effort to set aside each week for your spouse and for your kids, if you have kids. You know, just because you're busy working and building up your financial goals, your financial future, doesn't give you an excuse to ignore the kids or shove the kids uh, onto the other spouse. You got to set aside time to spend with them so that you can, you know, you know, be involved in their life and build memories. Now, getting your money right and getting, you know, your side hustle right, launched and working well, it won't be easy, right? There's going to be some times when you're going to have some disagreements and you're going to have to figure out how to get through those disagreements. But in the end, it will be worth it. The higher level of communication, the shared goals, the shared vision, the shared, you know, uh, commitment towards achievement is going to require, you know, you and your spouse coming together more than most other spouses and most other marriages. All right, uh, that's it uh, for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you did, go ahead and share it uh, with anybody else that you think uh, will get some value out of this. Uh, this concludes our Money and Marriage series on the Sex Mancers podcast, and I will be back again soon.